1: Hey, and welcome to a special episode of Frontline's The Clone Wars podcast. Uh, I am your host, Michael Cohen. Uh, I've got with me today my co-host, Matt. Hey, hey. And uh, and we've got special guest, uh, Steve. That's me. Uh, wow. Man. That's me. So, Steve, are, are, are we still allowed to call you Big Honkin' Steve on the podcast?
2: Um, I mean, I don't really do the Big Honkin' Steve thing anymore. I'm just little old Steve Lawson. Well not little, but you know.
3: You just regular just, yeah yeah, okay. just, plain, so, so yeah you... just
2: plain old garden variety Steve. <laughs> just Steve. Okay. Yeah.
3: Garden variety, I like
1: it. I at first I gotta say that we've kinda got a little bit of a coup here and we've got Steve on a podcast when he retired from podcasting. But <laughs> I but we, we, appreciate kinda got, it. we got a special episode, and, and we're kind of talking about something very specific uh, that's happened recently in the Star Wars, uh, well, in the, in the real world. And we talk about all the the imaginary made-up stuff that happens in Star Wars a lot. But uh, but unfortunately, recently, we've had uh, one of the, the legends of the Star Wars behind the scenes uh, pass away, and that was Irvin Kirshner, so... Yeah, yeah. I thought that we should do a uh, just like sort of a memorial podcast, sort of talk about about what he contributed to the Star Wars universe and uh, and what he contributed to film. So uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I, I I was I was pretty upset to hear the news. It was uh, it was a couple of weeks back, just at the end of uh, of November, and uh, it's it's kind of uh, well, Steve, you can kind of talk about this as well. At at C five, uh, they had before a couple of the panels they had Irvin uh, Kirshner do sort of like little introductions. and uh, yeah. and he didn't look like he was in the best of health at that time <laughs> so
2: well I've all- not seen I've not I mean honestly in the past few years I've not seen Irvin Kirshner look like he was in the best of health yeah. at yeah. all I mean you know it's a guy it's it, it's one of those situations where um, you know obviously he he'd been I don't know if he'd been in failing health, but I mean he was an older gentleman mm-hmm. and so um and so it was gosh, you don't want to sound cold when you say this kind of stuff, but it was just kind of a matter of time and and yeah. when you think about the fact that this year was the thirtieth anniversary of uh, of the release of Empire Strikes back and, and you think it's been thirty years since that movie's come out thirty three years since the original star wars a lot and we've you know and and over the past few years we've started to lose. A yeah. lot of the people that were involved in, in, in these movies, whether they be behind the scenes or actors or whatever, and so, um, and this is just one more, and this is a big one because he, you know, he is he is a large reason um, why Empire was as successful as a sequel as it was. You know, I mean, this was a guy who understood what he needed to do um, to to one up the original. And, uh, and he did and in, in spades I think he did you know as far because and and it was a guy and, and Kirshner will tell you he you know he said in so many interviews to him it was about the characters and everything had a character moment everyone had a character moment in Empire yeah. and um, and 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 that's a, that's all attributed to his direction of, of that film and so yeah it's a huge huge loss and it was you know and, and I agree with you at, at c5 the the hello and welcome to celebration 5 uh, you know Definitely, and I think you and I might have even commented on on it to one another that yeah. it seemed like he was a little out of sorts in trying to come up with some stuff to say and that sort of thing. But hmm. um, but it was really cool to see, and and you know, and it's and it is a loss; it's a sad loss for for the Star Wars
3: community. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too, Steve. Is is uh, you kind of touched on in the beginning there that we are starting to see these? You know, I'm I'm forty; I remember. uh back in you know 80 and 83 when these come out and these and these actors now are like you said they're getting older um the directors are getting older and and these guys are starting to it and i don't think he had any sort of illness or anything i think he was just you know it's time to go and
1: uh, i gotta correct you really quick he actually he died of lung cancer which oh he, did he have cancer yeah, okay actually i heard died cancer but i don't know
3: if that was if that was legit or not i don't know if that was but a rumor it,
1: three and a half years so Ooh. it was kind of okay kinda like steve said it was kind of matter
3: sort of yeah and, and you said steve that he had to he wanted to one-up star wars and that was you know we've all heard the, the interviews and stuff how how george came to him and said hey i want you to, to do this next film and he's like man after after seeing star wars come out what director wouldn't be intimidated by trying to back that up because we all know that a lot of times sequels never live up to you know to what the original was and that's just the way it is because a lot of times you know There's always new characters and a new story and then when you try to back it up with something else sometimes it just never lives up and what a monumental task that he had to do and he pulled it off big time uh with empire and you know we'll probably get into that to what he did with empire here in a few minutes um but you know he he always gets uh recognized for empire even though he's he's done some other things mike we just talked about this earlier he He worked on james bond never say never again which was um i believe was sean connery's last stint as as bond i don't quote me on that but i believe that's what it was and you know a lot of people think that sean connery was the james bond um you know he worked on robocop 2 another sequel there hey Um, (laughs) and apparently he worked on sequest dsv and i didn't know that and he's done some acting too uh, a little bit here and there so but yeah, he'll always be known as the guy who, who, who brought about, I guess, one of our favorites, many, favorite, uh, many of the uh, Star Wars community's favorite movie, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. So um, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about uh, his influence on Empire. Are we going to do that, Mike, or do you have some other things? Mike? Yeah, no, no, yeah,
1: let's uh, let's get into that. So I'm, we've kind of talked about it a, a little bit already, but, uh, but Empire is definitely... Of the six films, it's it's the most different. Like it's it's got its own vibe, it's got its own feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you go, you can say that Revenge of the Sith is is a fairly dark movie as well. Uh, I don't think that it quite hits as hard as as Empire does. And it's and it's about more than just you know the the good guys don't win at the end and all that sort of thing. Like really, from the beginning of the movie. Even, even on hot even even with it being you know essentially white
0: mm-hmm. white
1: blue the whole time yeah. it does have kind of just this this more ominous dark feeling to it they that, that you know that something good isn't coming right from the, the outset of the movie like it's it's very foreboding um, and uh, and and that's that's definitely urban Kirshner's uh, that's his stamp on it right um, and like Steve was saying, like, it's got all the character moments. It was really important to him to get in all
3: of that character stuff. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Well,
2: Kirshner had a good grasp on, on the fact he, he approached Empire. To me, it always seemed as not just a sequel, but as a movie that he was being given to direct. And, and he approached it as though there would be, actually be audience members who maybe did not know these characters. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he took the time to, you know, and like I say, with everyone, even the droids, you know, to have their little character moments. I, one of the most, one of the most poignant moments to me, as far as those little character moments are, with Chewie, right there at the beginning, is Han is going out to look for Luke, mm-hmm. and um, and they're shutting the, the the shield doors, and and Chewie just kind of, you know, he just stands there. He stands there as the doors finally close he howls, and then he just kind of, you know, he just droops his head up against that that post or whatever he's standing next Mm -hmm. to, and it's, you know, it's so human and so emotional and so subtle, and it's just, it shows you just how much that that Chewie is not a pet, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, that,
2: that he is a friend, and, um, and, and, and so things like that, things like, uh, uh, R2 on Dagobah, you know, another thing that, that I know Kirshner was really proud of was the standing on his tiptoes to look in the you know, <laughs> to look in the window as Luke yeah. was in, in Yoda's yeah. hut, you know, yeah. those kind of things. Those little bitty things that that were the flair of the artist that is Irving Kirshner you know, to, to throw in there and do and, and to direct these different actors and these different uh, droid makers and these different puppeteers to direct yeah. them to do these things so that you kind of got a sense of emotion from this thing. And, and and I would disagree with you, Cohen, to an extent that I think Sith is a much darker movie than Empire, but what I think that Sith lacks are those little flourishes of character that Empire has that give us the emotional attachment to the people that we're watching and to, and to the things that we're watching on screen. Um, and, and, and that was, I think that was that Kirshner flair that um, that wasn't... <clears throat> And, uh, and again, this is no slide on, on Richard Marquand or George Lucas, you know, as directors, but, but there was just something about what Kirshner brought to the table as a director um, to, you know, with those little flourishes that, that just were not mimicked in any of the other Star Wars movies.
3: Yeah. 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 You know what, too? You just, you just mentioned the Return of the Jedi director, Marquand, and it kind of brings me back to, to Kirshner and how he fought for some, some things in Empire. And maybe not fought with Lucas, but he really had a, an eye of what he wanted. And Lucas, I remember reading a couple stories about how he wanted something changed. or And and Kirshner said, no, you know, this is this is what I want. This is going to look good, or, or whatever he said. And, and he got Lucas to change his mind. And, of course, we all know the Han, I love you, um, I know scene, which right. he, he fought for that, and he put it in there. And it worked out perfectly. And this is the character moments you're talking about, Steve. Yep. There was another... There was another instance where um, he fought for a scene. And this was a scene where uh, Yoda, uh, Luke is leaving to go find Han and uh, Leia. And there's a shot where the X-Wing is leaving. And it shows Yoda saying, there's another. And it has that red glow to him. Mm-hmm. And I also read a story about how he fought for that scene and just the way it looked. Um, George wanted it sort of a different way, but he just liked the way the red kind of welled up as the X-Wing was leaving and you got that shot. That was another shot he, he fought for. So I think it, it, it kind of goes to Kirshner that he fought for some of these moments. And there was probably more that he fought for. Well, and maybe he, it maybe Marquand didn't have a chance to do that mm-hmm. because Lucas, you know, he, he respected Kirshner. I mean, he was his mentor, you know, at USC. Uh, Lucas went to him and said, Hey man, I need someone and you're the guy that I believe in you. I think you could pull this off. So I think that was huge right there. Go ahead, Mike.
1: Well it, it took Kirshner a month to say yes to to the the job and like he did yeah. sort of take it away and go, Well I don't know if I wanna do this because obviously the first Star Wars have been such a huge thing that being the director of the of the follow up would be like you said like an intimidating task to take on and uh and beyond that it, it, i mean he's he's gone on record as saying the first script wasn't very good and yes, they yeah. and that one of his stipulations to doing it was that he would have to they would have to go back and, and do a brand new script and start from scratch and sort of like uh take it from a different approach so i think that that's probably one of the largest uh f- contributing factors to why his film is so different
0: mm-hmm. from
1: the other five, uh, and why it stands out so much to me in the six, because I mean, like I said before, right from the get-go, you kind of sense that it's a little bit of a different story than than the other films are, which have much more of a pulp uh, adventure feel to them. And Empire, I don't know, it's just got something else. Like it's, it's. Uh, I don't want to say that it's a slow movie, but it is.
0: Yeah,
1: it it does have a very different pace from the other Star Wars
0: films. I
2: mean, well, your largest action set piece is up front. Yeah, you know, uh, with with the with the with the rebel with the fight at the you know with the Battle of Hoth or whatever, and that's something that's unheard of in any action movie like this. You know, you want yeah. you you know you want your largest set piece to be that big climax, and what we got as a climax was a chase with some stormtroopers and 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 a Wookiee and Leia and a, a, a lightsaber battle between. Uh, uh, Luke and Vader, and and while that was great, and you know, and certainly, you know, the reveal is is what made those moments. Um, you know, it's kind of a rule breaker, in oh, as yeah, much as definitely. you know, in as much as your biggest action set piece, and then from the time, you know, and what I love is, is that when you do watch it, it does seem to move a bit slower because really, all that's going on in the middle of that movie is Luke's on Dagobah listening to Yoda. And there's a bit of an asteroid chase. But once they get to Cloud City, everything slows down for a good 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and you're just kind of, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of tension building. But Han gets frozen and Luke shows up. And then, it, you know, then it's on again. But it's, 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 a, it is, it's a different type of, of Star Wars movie from the other five. But at the same time, it fits right in there. Yeah. You know, it it, it and, and it and I think that um, I think that that is the genius of the collaboration between Lucas and Kirschner. You know, you never you never heard you know you heard Kirshner say I stood my ground on this, but you never heard of them actually literally arguing. Of course, I don't know that George would really argue with anybody. You know, he's, no, no, he's yeah. so passive. Well, I mean, if that's what you want to do, well, you know, <laughs> I should. Um, yeah. But, uh, but you know, I love, you know, and I love the fact, and Lucas was willing to let let Kirshner be the director. You know, as far as the I love you, I know thing goes, you know, Kirshner said, let's just watch it with an audience and see what, see what happens. Yeah. And when the people loved it, that's what sold Lucas on it, you know. So mm-hmm. for all you people that says Lucas doesn't listen to the fans, there you go. Um, but, it you know, it's a thing where I, you, you almost wonder what Jedi would have been.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah
2: you know uh, had had uh, had Lucas been able to get Kirshner on and I know there were things yeah. with like the director's Guild or that sort of thing um, but but you almost wonder what it could have been and again Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie right you know yeah. it's my favorite of the six and so I'm not I'm not I'm not belittling it in any way but at the same time you know just imagine what Kirshner would have tried to pull out of some of those aliens in Java's palace
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know you imagine uh, imagine Ewoks under the direction of Irvin Kirshner. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it's a thing where um, that the collaboration between those two was so good that everything fired just right in that mm-hmm. movie. You know, yeah. from, from Kirshner to ILM to Lucas's producing of it, everything just seemed to fire so well. And and you've got to attribute that to Kirshner, who really, you know, if George Lucas was at the helm of the ship, Kirshner was right there, you know, next to him, saying, well, Let's go this way, George. You know, or whatever the case may be. And um, yeah, and, and and it takes someone special to be able to, to collaborate with his peers that way.
3: Yeah, and that's why I was mentioning Mark one earlier is because you know Lucas had to. It, it, he was saying in his in his uh, one of his commentaries that even though he was just producing it, um, he was there uh, almost every day on the on the Revenge of Revenge Return of the Jedi shoot. So it was yeah. almost like he was directing it anyway, and I think with Empire, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to be on there every day, and like you said, it was with the Director's Guild and all that. I mean, there was virtually like nobody that he could hire for this Return of the Jedi, but man, like you said, if he would have been able to hire Kershner, um, yeah, who knows? what you know? It's still a great movie, Return of the Jedi, don't get me wrong, cause there's a lot of times I go back and forth, I'm like, oh, I'm in a Jedi mood, well, sometimes I'm in an Empire mood, but... Yeah, like you said, Steve, who knows what can happen. And look what he did with, like you said, you pull out all the stops and do your huge battle at the beginning of a movie. I mean, who does that? You don't, you don't really see, I mean, I don't know. At the time, you never saw that. And like you said, it, it had an emotional climax instead of a, you know, a big battle ending climax. And it ended on such a cliffhanger. You're like, I remember the three years waiting from 80 to 83, it's like, wow, that's a long way. And, now, and this is before, like, Internet and anything, you know, so you yeah, had nothing to tease you until three years later, you know.
2: Well, you know, there are a bunch of movies that have done that in recent years where right, either right. early on or in the middle there's been, but I don't think they've done it intentionally, and I think that's the difference. You know, and I'm thinking of a lot of superhero movies that have come out mm-hmm. where, um, you know, going back even like the Superman Returns where the big moment in that was him saving the plane. And then the right. rest of the movie happens. And, um, you know, you get the cool stuff through Metropolis. Or you go to uh, even the first Iron Man movie. You know, the cool stuff was him going after those terrorists in that other country. You know, and then the plane sequence. The, the end fight really wasn't much to write home about. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was let's fly up in the space and freeze Um <laughs> And, you know, and a pretty explosion. And there's and there were several, and been several of the superhero movies that way. A lot of people would argue similarly about The Dark Knight. Is that, you know, he caught the Joker, you know, he and Commissioner Gordon, after that chase to Gotham, catch the Joker, and then the rest of the movie kind of happens. Though there were some great character moments, and though the rest of the movie is great, right. you know, it seems that that is the climax. It seems that that is that big moment. And I feel like none of those things were done intentionally. I don't feel like well, we're going to put the biggest, most exciting piece right here. I feel like it was done, and it's like, well, okay, here we go. You know, now we've got to do something else. And and um, and and with Kershner, you know, he realized the script calls for this. This story has to be compelling, you know. Right, and right. and and that's what you've got—an empire that is. And, and Cohen, you pointed out, it's so much different than the others. In in as much as though you have your cliffhanger moments, you have your asteroid chase. You, you know, you have the escape from the space slug. You have. Three uh, PO getting blown to bits. You have Han getting frozen carbonite. You know, for the most part, though, it it doesn't feel as much like those pulp cereals as the rest of the movies do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of its I think that's one of its greatest strengths is that is that it sneaks this great, compelling story in on you this the second chapter of of this three or the second act of this three act play, um, and it just you know, it, it leaves you just drooling, wanting more. You want oh, yeah. it all to be resolved.
3: Yeah. And, and the fact that you didn't even know, this is, you know, I'm taking you guys back to 80. I mean, you, it was it was still a question whether, uh, you know, like you were talking about these revealing moments, whether Darth Vader was truly Luke's father, you know, or was he just saying that? I mean, that was the legitimate uh, question that people had until Return of the Jedi. And... Well, yeah, you know, but, I
2: had the chance. I had the chance in back in the late '90s, before Episode One came out, uh, to actually show a friend who had never seen Star Wars the, the the original trilogy. Okay. And when we hit Empire Strikes Back, when Luke, when when Vader tells Luke, "I'm your father," I didn't think that would be this big revelation because even in the late '90s, everybody knew it.
3: Right. Uh, right. Yeah. You
2: know. Um, And this person, her jaw hit the floor. (laughs) And she's like, he's totally lying. He's not telling the truth. There's no way that's possible. I remember thinking that, yeah. And and I was like, I was only three years old in 1980. This is awesome to actually see firsthand. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I can can recall as a kid not even realizing
2: that Darth
1: Vader was a human being underneath the mask. Like, I thought he was a robot. Right,
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: when I was a really, really little kid, and uh, but but I've sort of grown up in this other era, having been born two years after the, the last of the original trilogy was released, where like I, I don't remember finding out that Darth Vader was Luke's father. It was just something that was always there, for me. So like that moment, uh, has never really. I don't know, like I don't, I don't have that, like, like you guys probably do, where I've, where you've got this this memory of like thinking, oh man, what a what a crazy revelation, and and uh, and what's gonna happen next and that sort of thing. But for me, it's just like, no, that's the way it always was because the first movie that I watched, like it, when I became a big Star Wars fan, was right around when the THX versions came out on VHS, and I got that box set, took it home. And uh, and the first one that I threw in was uh, Return of the Jedi, so I kind of just ruined the whole thing Whoa. for myself because that like I, I didn't I didn't really care about Star Wars. I didn't know enough yet to know you know like that I should watch them in order and that that's how movies are kind of supposed to be and all that sort of thing. I was just like Ewoks are cool. I'm I'm gonna watch this one. It has some Ewoks in it. Um, kind of like uh, with Indiana Jones, I I always. Uh, I love the, the opening sequence from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just that opening teaser with him in the temple, and then the, the boulder rolling after him. And as a kid, not knowing which movie was which, uh, one time when I was sick, I asked my dad to go get get me rent me a video, and he was like, "What do you want?" I was like, oh, "I want to watch some Indiana Jones." He's like, "Well, there's three of them. Which one do you want?" I was like, "I want the one with the boulder in it," and he was like okay, I don't know which one that is. I'm like, oh, no, it's like a temple or something. He's like, you mean Temple of Doom? I was like, yeah, that's the one. I want Temple of Doom. Nice. And then he brings home Temple of Doom, and I'm like,
2: this is not the right movie. So I'm like, so I, scared I, right now. He's pulling, yeah, cooler, pulling it, hearts out.
1: Like, a, like an eight-year-old kid home with the flu, and I was like, oh, this is not making me feel better. Yeah, so it, it's stuff like that, like just as kind of being that that next generation that's grown up with this stuff already existing it's uh, it's a different it's a different experience for me to go and watch Empire but like for myself it's it is one of my go-to you know when I'm not feeling well or you know like I'm just kind of down I always kind of go to Empire and uh, and it makes me like even though it's dark and there's all these this negativity in it, it's it it's probably it probably goes back to the character moments, and it's like it's in in none of the other five movies do you ever feel as connected to those characters.
2: As yeah. Well, the do. comedy, the comedy's is yeah. not as good in any of the other five movies. Oh, definitely,
1: definitely, yeah. Well, because the comedy in the other one seems kind of forced, right? Like, right. Uh, right. Uh, particularly in the prequels, but but even in Return of the Jedi, I mean, having having. Uh, R2 pushed three PO off of the sail barge and, uh, and and stuff like that. It was it was a little bit like okay, you're kind of getting slapstick with the droids, which uh, which you don't really get in, in the other ones. But like in Empire, yeah, like the, the the characters are just so they're so real. Even for like an actor like Mark Hamill, who in other stuff that you see him in is not nearly as as good as he is in Empire. It's 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 really amazing to just sort of go along with those characters on that journey. Like, when you're on the swamp, or in the swamp of Daewa with, with Luke and Yoda, it's... You feel there, right? Like, it, it just sort of... It, it puts you right in that, that place where the character is. And when when Luke's oh, yeah. asking questions about the dark side, it's these are questions that we're asking as well. And when Yoda's sort of giving dodgy answers and, and saying, no, no more today. You've, you've already train too hard today, like, or we'll leave it for later. You're like, no, 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 I want to know. And you have that same, that same eagerness that Luke has. And you're sort of following on the journey with him. And I think that's one of the the best connections that you get with the character. Because even when he's a farm boy, he's a farm boy on an adventure in the first one. And you're kind of like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be that guy? Like, to, to, to get to go from my boring life and then go on the adventure but then in the second one it sort of breaks it back down and brings him back to like like I guess you start the movie with him hanging upside down he pulls the lightsaber and you're like oh the guy's a Jedi like he's starting to learn how to use the force and that sort of thing and you think that's awesome and and he takes down an AT-AT by himself with his lightsaber and you figure that's what a Jedi would do and it's not until you get to Dagobah that you find out that, no, this he's really got a lot to learn, and he's not a Jedi. And then when we come back in Return of the Jedi, he kind of is, and he's this detached, almost emotionless character for a lot of the movie, and, and you're not as connected to Luke as I think you are in, in I, the other two. But in Empire, you just kinda, uh, you're just kind of you right along on the journey with him, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the directing of Urban Kirshner. Um, a friend of mine recently brought over his copy of the making of Empire Strikes Back, the big, right, coffee table hardcover, like super thick making of book, and he he flips to a section of it and he's like, "You got to read this," and it's a, uh, it's a transcript from uh, like walkie-talkie conversations, and 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 somebody was on set and and Irvin Kershner is having this conversation on the set, uh, the carbon freezing chamber, mm-hmm. with. Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford's not really like feeling it, and and the performance isn't there, and it's all kind of around that "I love you, I know" scene, and it's all that stuff going on, and they're breaking it down with each other, and and at one point he, like Harrison Ford's just like he's trying to figure out what what Han Solo is feeling, and 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 where to to attack it from, and where to come at at the character, and Irvin Kershner's just kind of like. You gotta think about it for a second, cause like, why would Vader bring Leia and Chewie and the droid in into the room? Like, what's what is the point of that? Why why do they need to be there? It's like you're just gonna freeze the guy in, in carbonite. Wouldn't it just be easier to bring him in, do it, and then you know the job's done? Mm-hmm. But but it's an execution scene, and and you have to play it as an execution. And even though the character might not be dead, you have to play it like. He's never going to see these characters, these these other people again that he cares about, right? And uh, and it's in those conversations that, that they come to the, you know, the, the, the I love you, I know, thing, and uh, and it's just really interesting to get that insight to see uh, how how a how a like an A class director comes at a scene like that, which for us as the viewers, I think we kind of take for granted that. It was in the script. They walked in, and they just shot it, and that's just how it was meant to be. And and they, you know, it, it's it couldn't be any other way. And, and the only reason that it's that, uh, it seems that effortless is because of great directing and great acting. So, so like scenes like that, and and the character moments like we've been
3: talking about, we we totally owe Terry Brinkershner, and yeah. Empire would be the same movie without him yeah it was the character moments like you guys talked about it's it's bringing Yoda a puppet alive, and that was more you know I think that was just a combination of everybody I mean you had Mark Hamill acting against him doing a superb job you had uh Yoda, which was done by uh Frank Oz and all his work and in the direction i mean that's just this is one of those scenes that just everything comes together and and even though it wasn't an action packed scene, you were like on the edge of your seat like oh man Yoda this is this is the Jedi Master, you know. This is him. It, you're hanging on every word. And and one of my favorite scenes, and, and uh, you guys were just talking about the carbon freezing chamber, which was, according to uh, Kirstner, the hardest thing to film with everything that was going on in that whole scene. Uh, just after that, uh, one of my favorite shots of all of Star Wars is the shot where you have Vader up on the platform, you know, silhouetted in all the red, you know, on the neon that's going on. Oh, and Duke yeah, down yeah, there. Yeah. What an unbelievable shot that was, and entrance into this, you know, second battle, and and just everything about it, just the music, the look, um, the whole end battle scene, uh, just man, it was fantastic. You know, maybe that's not all Kershner, but you know, he was directing it, and I'm well, sure he had comes- a lot of influence.
2: Yeah, when it comes to filming in that room in that moment, you know, to get the to evoke the feeling that the audience has to feel as Luke steps into that carbon freezing chamber, into that hell, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, you yeah. know, that's one of my favorite moments in Star Wars. Is, is just in that line, "The Force is with you, young Skywalker, but you are not a Jedi yet." Yeah. Um, and the way that most of that fight for the first few seconds or minutes of it is done in silhouette. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the only the only real light being from those steps and from whatever it is shining from behind them a little bit and yeah. those lightsabers, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and and then and then two, Kirshner does so many close ups. You know, I mean he made the choice to let's get in close on, yeah, on, on Luke true. especially. You know, where you could see his face. I think of I think of one I think of a moment in the in the carbon freezing chamber and I think especially of the moment on the catwalk. Uh, as Vader has him down, and you're just, you're close in on Luke, and you see the tip of that lightsaber right at his chin, mm, um, yes, yeah. you know, and then you see his face just kind of contort into whatever, whether it be anger or or uh, desperation or, you know, just the physical exertion of, of swatting that thing away to, to back up further. It's just to see, the, to, to, to have that, and that is that man directing directing his camera guys, he, he's directing those actors, he's directing everything that's happening he is the director, you know, he's the maestro, he's pulling the strings, if you will and um, and and, and again, I can't think the only other place I can think we get like the close-up shots during a battle like that, there's a, there's one moment in, in Sith uh, out, there's the Yoda Palpatine fight, a little bit where, where there's no real spoken dialogue and then there is the uh the Mace Palpatine fight where it's right in on Mace and he just looks so big towering over the Emperor but then uh, the only other place I can think of is in episode 2 where it's not really done well and they just did it yeah. because Dooku because you know Christopher Lee couldn't jump around and, right. and fight a lot with Anakin and so they did this weird artistic choice of how they would make the fight happen um, yeah uh, where
1: you just get those like they're, they're just those medium shots of of Anakin and Dooku yeah and, and they're just kind of they're, swing, they're aggressive and yeah, and the and the colors are changing around them, but you're kind of like, well, it's not very exciting. because no. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> going on in that battle, God, right? Like, get, yeah. There's I there's, there's no payoff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like in in Empire, it's it's a it's a culmination of things, right? Because yeah. even if Luke doesn't know what's what's really at stake by fighting Vader, he's got he's got all this baggage that he carries from watching Vader kill Obi-Wan in the first one and and so when when he has that vision and and he thinks oh no my my friends are in trouble and you know like the dark side and all that sort of thing and and gets there and it's Vader it it, in his mind it's like am I too late are my friends already dead like like where's Han cause he only sees Leia right like he sees Leia going around the corner and she's like, "No, it's a trap." And then he walks into the trap, anyways. Which we talk about later. But, uh, huh. but he's going in there, going like, "Am I, like, am I too late? It, did I, did I fail my friends again? Like, is this going to be another situation like Obi Wan?" And uh, and he goes in there with all of this emotion, and uh, and that battle just ends up meaning so much, yeah. and. And it might not be as visually impressive as some of the other ones. It's not even as impressive as, as the Return of the Jedi lightsaber battle, which I think has some, some really great stunt moments and some really great dueling moments and that sort of thing, um, as well as emotion. But but when it comes to the emotional content of a fight, Empire has got it in spades over any of the other ones. And, uh, and you really feel it. Like, you... you you're on the edge of your seat as to what's going to happen because Luke clearly can't contend with Vader. He, his training's not complete, and Vader killed Jedi. Like we know that 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 was his purpose. He he right. went he exterminated the Jedi. Um, In their up heyday.
2: Until, up And yeah. we we don't
1: we don't know that he's his father. That he's Luke's father. We think he's killed Luke's father. So why won't we, like, what's going to stop him from killing Luke, right? And the tone of the rest of the movie, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe it could happen. Like, maybe yeah. you lose your main character. Well, I
2: mean, he's toying with him the whole time. Yeah. He is just toying with Luke from, I mean, from the get-go on the top of those steps. He's just flippantly using one hand to, one you know, hand, to yeah. go at him and stuff. Yeah. You know, he's, he's handling him. He's handling him. And Luke gets a lucky shot in. On the, uh, you know, he jumps on, with the steam from the, from the carbon freezing chamber. Uh, he jumps down to that other little porthole place. And Vader just shows up and he's like, I'm just going to stand here now and throw things at you with yeah. my mind. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and then it's like, I, it's almost like he forgets he's trying to turn Luke and he's just, he's just ticked that the boy won't die. You yeah. know, because in that third part of that fight on that catwalk, or what my sister and I always called the Cloud City Arcade because those <laughs> consoles and everything look like a bunch of video games. You know, Vader just comes out of nowhere swinging, and he's not playing anymore. Yeah, you know, playtime's no. over, and and you see, I mean, Luke constantly backing down to the point that he falls down, you know, on that catwalk, which is eerily uh, similar to what's done there at the end of Return of the Jedi, only reversed, um, and, you know, and then as Luke gets up, he gets one little piece of offense in, he, he chops at Vader's shoulder. And yeah. then Vader's like, nope, I'm done. Twirl, twirl, cut. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you are now disarmed, so to speak. And um, it's just it's, a, it's a fascinating, you know, and obviously there are so many team members that pulled that together. But uh, but to be the overseer, you know, like I said earlier, to be the puppet master. And, and can we just say, Kirshner got the chance to drop some science on everybody as far as the Force is concerned. We've talked about those Yoda moments a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I was watching, I have some other friends who've never seen Star Wars, and so I decided to show them one through six in that order because that's the that's the order I choose. If someone's not seen it, that's the order I choose because everyone knows Luke, I'm your father. And um and and as we were watching episode one and the force got mentioned, they looked at me and said, Well, what's the force? Hmm. And I paused the movie, I'm like, Well, the force is an energy field that's you know, I just started doing the Obi <laughs> <It thing. binds laughs> But, you know, uh, from from a storytelling point, that's can I use the term ballsy? That's a pretty ballsy move on Lucas's part yeah. uh-huh. to not really even fully explain things until the 5th episode till Yoda really starts to kind of delve into how to tap into the force, what it means to be a Jedi, you know, what all this stuff means. You get a little quick at you get a you get a very perfunctory explanation of it from Obi-Wan in episode 4, but it's not till Yoda really starts to break it down for Luke in episode 5. And, and it was, you know, and in, in having to direct that, having to, you know, having to yell down underneath the stage, okay, Frank, could you do this? Could you, could you have him look right? Could you have him gaze around <laughs> yeah. the swamp, you know, and point to the rock, point to the tree, point to the droid, point to the ship? Um, you know, it's to have an eye for that and to, and to be able to sit behind a camera, look at that screen as things are going on, and, and, and be able to say, this is going to connect with an audience you know this way yeah is yeah. a big deal you know and like i say it takes it takes an artist and it takes talent I, you know no one can sit down behind a camera and direct no one can do that and and i don't think um i think a lot of times you know cohen you said it we take for granted you were talking about the the i love you i know we take for granted that the script's written and someone just basically stands there and says action and cut mm-hmm. and um and we, and we take kind of for granted that's what a director is, you know, and, and it's not. You know, the director is, if the actors are responsible for the delivery of their lines, the director is responsible for making sure lines are delivered in such a way that's going to connect with the viewing audience. You know, the director is responsible for making sure that the shot looks in such a way that it's not going to be, be a distraction because of the camera movement, but it's also not going to be too static you know, as a camera movie, there's a lot going on when you're sitting in that director's chair. And, um, you know, and and it's a thing that you just get the sense that Kirshner's just like, this is what I do, you know. And and if, and, and, you know, we said earlier, we don't really talk about the Bond movies that he did, and we don't really talk about Robocop 2, because I think Kirshner stumbled into something that he was born to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was born to leave his mark on the Star Wars universe. Yeah,
3: good point. And, uh,
2: you know, yeah. and and... What would you think about what would Empire had been had Lucas directed and I and again not casting aspersions on the direction that Lucas gives I think that I think that there's some real neat choices that Lucas made throughout the prequel trilogy that people overlook as, as him making as a director in, in the way that he he directed his his actors to do and stuff but I think that that a young George Lucas directing Empire would have been the wrong choice you know, considering, you know, producing, yes, being that overseer, yes, and I think that's what Lucas does best. But, uh, but you know, you're talking, about, you're talking about a situation where this thing could have been a colossal flop, not, not just because George Lucas would have, have directed, but just, it would not, I don't think you would have resonated as a full movie as much as that one moment because what resonates the thing the success of empire is not that it resonates because of the I'm your father moment it resonates because of the entirety of the film mm-hmm. and you know from from the opening crawl to the closing credits that it, it just it has this neat resonance to it of not just the darkness but I don't know it, to me it's darkness is too simple it, to me it, to say it's a dark movie is really simplifying what empire is empire is, is a movie that bridges uh, the the opening of the story to the end of the story. Empire is that is the Empire is the gateway to the ultimate climax of an entire saga. Now, I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, Empire is 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 the is this I don't know. It's just it's hard to put into words just how amazing this thing is. And if you just say, well, it's the darkest of the original trilogy, you're really oversimplifying mm-hmm.
3: what was yeah. done with that movie. Well, I think you said it best. It was the connection with the audience that that made this movie shine. And, and like you talked about earlier, a lot of these close-up shots, you know, with Han and Leia, uh, Yoda in the, in the hut, um, you know, throughout the whole movie, he was getting up into the face and you, you were getting that emotional connection. And I want to ask you, Steve, because I don't think I've gotten your take on this, or I, don't, I haven't heard this yet, is the cave scene. And this is one of those scenes where, I think it's just like up to your interpretation you know it's kind of open like what do you how do you interpret that scene um and there's you know i have a particular way i interpret it but uh is that what you came across when you first saw that scene it's kind of up to your interpretation it's, there's really not really a wrong answer but how do you feel about it about the cave scene i mean i always wonder what would have happened if luke hadn't taken his weapons in there
2: yeah. That's my, you know, it was yeah. like your weapons. You won't need them. I'm like, Yoda, you're a freaking liar. Um, <laughs> yeah, what know? are you talking about? <laughs> but
1: well, he I, I says, he that, says, uh, what's in there? And he goes, only what you take with you. Only and, what you take with you. And because he takes the weapons, he encounters a fight. Because that's yeah, what he's looking yeah. for. I, that's what he goes in there I weapon.
2: think, I think that um, what, what I take away from that scene is two things. I think it's a twofold interpretation of that. Of, of 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 the vision or the experience that Luke has in there, one is he's obviously connected to Vader. Mm-hmm. You know, we find out in in Jedi for sure, but at the end of Empire potentially that he is Vader's son. Um, and the and the second thing I think that that I've always taken away from that is that Luke is not far from following down that same path. Right. That when Luke looks into the face of Vader, he could be looking into his own face. You know, and that's echoed at the end of Jedi as Luke cuts Vader's hand off and sees those wires sticking out from that arm, and then looks down at his mechanical hand right. and realizes that you know, because of the path he's chosen, the path of being a Jedi warrior rather than just a Jedi, that um that he could be headed right down the, the path of his father, and um, and and I think that uh, I, that's the, those two things are kind of what I always taken from that. From that, uh, from that particular vision, is, right. or whatever it is that Luke has, is, is that one, he's connected to Vader, and two, he could become exactly what Vader is if he's not careful.
3: Yeah, Mike, you had another. Did you have something else too? Because I think I think the same thing is you have to look at it too. Is um, you have to kind of look at that scene as only seeing, um, well, at least at the time uh, we saw it. We didn't have the prequels yet. So you didn't, like I said, you didn't know that Darth Vader was his father. So you're looking at it going, what the heck is going on? I remember thinking this. You know, you're a 10-year-old. You're like, what is going on here? You know, is it just that uh, he sees his face? Uh, and like you said, Steve, I think at first you're thinking, well, if you go down the dark side, this is how you're going to end up. But then, you, then you're then you're conflicted, though, because you see Luke's face in it. And you're like, what the heck is going on? And then, of course, you realize down the line that, um, you know, kind of a kind of a hint there hey you know darth vader is your father and, and this and that but um what do you think mike i mean did you have the same type of feeling uh, when you first saw it uh, that the, the connection there with luke and vader yeah um
1: as a kid it was it was uh i don't know it seemed a little bit more mysterious to me and, and uh I don't know, kind of along the same lines as as Steve was talking about with his friends being like, "Well, maybe maybe Vader's not telling the truth." I was yeah. like, "Well, yeah. maybe that's not Luke's face. It it looks like him, but it doesn't look exactly the same." So I thought that it might have been Anakin's face
3: oh, in I there, see. right? That, like, because
1: because I had the whole the 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 concept that like before watching that that Vader was Luke's father, and yeah the old dude's face. A
3: different point it. of view, yeah. Okay.
1: Right? So yeah. so coming at it with that, like, I don't know, as a kid, I just never... Um, I almost... I think I took it more literally the first few times that I saw it, like, when I was younger and before I started getting deeper into into to the symbolism and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it was just like... Like, why, why would Luke's face be in there? That's not Luke. That must be... Mm-hmm. That, what, that must be like, like to, talk, to, to give us the idea that that Vader is a, a human being under the mask and, and that, like not really understanding that the whole line, like I said earlier about what's in there, only what you take with you, and that uh, Luke's taking all, all these things in there with him, all these uh, notions and, uh, and he's being forced to look at the mirror. Right, and, right. Uh, and that's what that trial is And that's what's in the cave Before I understood that stuff I just thought It was uh, It was just trying to get across to us That, that Anakin and Luke Were connected And that, that they were related in some way So um, but, but thinking that like maybe that's not Luke's face Like it kind of looks like him But it doesn't really look like him Like it looks really
0: yeah weird Yeah
1: um, and not not necessarily putting putting all of the pieces
3: together at that. You know what? You can also get different interpretations. Just the the order that you watch these in. I mean, if you watch them four, five, six, one, two, three, you're probably going to have a different interpretation. If you watch it one through six. And mm. I think you you mentioned it just earlier, Steve. When you when you look at the Force and you look at it um, one through six, you know, in the prequels you get like a a definition when they talk about chlorians, but when you get to five and you get that direction from Kirshner, like this is how it's just totally redone. It's like, forget what you know in episode one, let's break it down to, uh, just the simplest thing. And Yoda breaks it down. This is what the force is. Um, and forgetting the chlorian thing and all that. And I don't necessarily think that introducing the mid- midichlorians, uh, makes that much of a difference to the whole force thing i know a lot of people didn't like that chlorian thing but when you break it down i mean it's still it's still an energy field it binds you know the, what what yoda says and what a you know that scene was so good and i think watching it one through six um you know you get the prequel version but then you ended up with the just the basic version and yoda breaks it down the jedi master he's going to tell you what it really is and and i think you like you said earlier steve that's that 's interesting um, that you like to watch them one through six, or you you yeah. recommend to people one through six because yeah. there's always debates on how do you watch these you know do you watch them the production order, do you watch them how they should be one through six and I kind of well, ta- I, think... I kind of tarantino it I go four five one, two three six you know <laughs> Throw <the Tarantino> in. <laughs> i think,
2: I think that uh you know I think for old dogs like myself and, and you matt yeah. um there is the tendency to lean toward four, five, six and it comes and it and it hinges on empire. Yeah. You know, if right, there yeah, weren't exactly. the big revealing if there weren't the big reveal in empire, wouldn't be that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that we cling to that because so much of of, of us growing up, that was the moment. Now, that was the moment exactly. in cinema history exactly. for crying out loud. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, you were you were older than I was and, and you got to see it. I remember seeing I remember going to see Empire as a little, little boy. Like I say, I was three when it came out, three and a half. And, um, and, and I remember going with my mom, my sister, and, and a, and a few friends, a few of my sister's friends, some older guys. And, uh, and I fell asleep, uh, right around the time, um, after the Adats attacked. And then, uh, woke up, <laughs> right, woke up, ro- woke up right as Luke was getting his hand chopped off. Um. <laughs> You know, but there. I and I I think I went and saw it again. I there, I remember seeing it t- at least two times in the theaters as a little kid. You know, and and again, understand real little, and so my memory is is vague. But I also remember in the ensuing years between that and Jedi, between Empire and Jedi, I just took it on faith that Vader. Was, for some reason, I just never it never crossed my mind that Vader was lying.
0: Yeah.
2: Like I just said, right. it's true, and that's a huge rip because. What a, <laughs> you know, and that's one of those things that as I got older and found out that, that people thought, well, I didn't know it was Vader lying. Was he telling the truth? This was a debate. I'm like, it was really a debate. I just always kind of took it on, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like this is huge. This is such big news. Why would you lie about it and undo it later, you know, and, um, and, and, and. I don't, you know, it's a thing where that's where, and that's where I've said before on on some of my older podcasts and everything. Star Wars has just always been with me. Like I don't remember a time in my life without Star Wars, and it's because as a three year old, my mom was taking me to see freaking Empire Strikes Back. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that would have been the first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters. And Like I say, memories very vague of it, but uh, but but they're there, and yeah. um. You know the guys that my sister brought with her. They were throwing popcorn at the screen and booing when <laughs> Vader came on. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fun. You know, uh, just I don't know. Not not to jump around too much because we're starting to geek out on Star Wars, which I'm glad to do any time. <laughs> Cohen can tell you we spent a lot of time in line doing that up at, down at uh, down in Orlando. Um, but you know, you mentioned while I go some of the close up shots. Can I tell you one of the most amazing shots in Empire Strikes Back? Okay. Is Let's as see. as as Luke meets Yoda,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I mean it is a it is a two second shot, but Luke's talking to Yoda, and they go right in the Yoda's face fills up the entire screen, and he tilts his head and kind of smiles a little bit, like you have no idea what you're talking about right <laughs> now, son, and it's just the wisdom and the innocence and the humor and the the just everything that makes up everything that we know about Yoda is in that too. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. in that moment, that's not a puppet.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, and, and, and and as much as I love what they did with CGI Yoda in episode 3, you're not going to be able to CGI that either. I mean, that is an amazing moment of, of puppetry that just I don't, to this day, I don't care. They could show me the ins and outs of how they pulled that off and there's no way I would understand it. I mean, it, it comes that you couldn't just stick anyone under there. It had to be a Jim Henson or a Frank Oz mm-hmm. that made yeah. that happen, you know. And um, and I know this is, you know, we're kind of talking about what Kershner did, but but to say we're going to go close in on the puppet—that's a big deal, you know. Again, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. one of those
0: nutsy yeah. moves
2: that just—who's going to take that shot, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Because the puppet was the big, you know. George always said, you know if If the audience doesn't believe that this puppet is Yoda, this movie is gonna tank you know what i mean and it it was yeah. all it was you know i don't know if he it was if that was uh just kind of overstating it, but he did mention that you know this this is this is huge for us if this if we can't pull this this Yoda character off with this puppet, this movie's not going to make it and it was shots like that, Steve it was shots with the close up of Yoda and it, and, and the, the whole Yoda reveal—it's like you're kidding me. This little tiny green guy is, is the you know the, the main master, 900 years old. He's he's the one that's been teaching Jedi for nine you know 800 years or whatever. It, it yeah. was just you're just kind of blown away. And that's more to the story, but but uh, and you also mentioned earlier the big reveal. And I mean that was so big that even the actors didn't even know. I think the only actors that knew were were. Uh, I don't even know if he told the actors. I know David Prowse didn't know. They, he spouted a different line. The only person
2: it. he told was Hamill. Was Hamill, right? He, you know, so he, told, he can react. He to it. told him that just, be, yeah, he told him that just before. Um, you know, they were going to shoot that that shot because the line that that Prowse actually gave, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cohen, because you'll know this, mm-hmm. uh, was Obi Wan killed your father. Right? Yeah. 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 And um, and and so for Luke. And I just, you know, you have to wonder what was going through Dave Prowl's mind as, as, yeah. as Mark Hamill reacts yeah. to Obi-Wan Killed Your Father that way. He's like, I mean, you have to think, he's thinking, what an overactor. Yeah. You know, this kid's yes. not going to go anywhere. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, you mean that guy that you knew for all of, like, two days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like you're, yeah, okay. Betrayal, I understand. That's not true. That's impossible. Yeah, it's a little bit much. Yeah. (laughs) Like, did you really know that guy that well? I think you could believe it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All he did was hang out in the freaking desert, kid. Yeah. You're not. You're not going to get me with your crocodile tears. But yeah, I mean, I I really. That's one of those things. And two, it's the days
3: before the internet. Would that have leaked out online? I mean. Well, you know, it's. That's what was so fun about movies back in that time and what's so different about movies today is is the just the waiting and anticipation it was it just built up so much more than it does now um and yeah i don't know whether that would have leaked well okay that would have been really bad let's look at episode
1: one back in 99 yeah how much about that movie did we really know we thought we knew a lot we thought we knew what that was going to be and and a lot of people thought that the clone troopers were going to be Introduced in that, that like these Mandalorian clones were going to be in that first movie, and uh, I don't know. Even after seeing the trailers and seeing TV spots and and all of the behind the scenes specials and everything, I mean, it's never been more of a more of an event than when when Episode One came out. Like that was yeah, ridiculous, right. and we had information coming out the wazoo. And yet, when I sat down to watch that movie, it was a very different film than what I thought it was going to be. And it played out very differently. And then going into uh, Attack of the Clones, it, that surprised me again. And then Revenge of the Sith, it, I was surprised again. So I think that we can, um, you can... You can think, like, oh, well, with the Internet today, we'd know everything about the movie before it even comes out. I think with the prequels, there there were things that we didn't know, and there were surprises, and there were uh, little pieces. Maybe Revenge of the Sith a little bit less than the other two, but in particular, Episode One, it it was a very different film than what I thought it was going to be going into that theater. So,
3: I think I think you're you're right there. The only problem is with for me was it was so hard to stay spoiler free with the prequels. Uh, but, of course, you know, I'm a little older. The technology's different, you know, with the Internet and everything. And, and back in the 80s, it was just, you, you just had the Lucasfilm magazine and, and a story here and there. And and then you were at the movie. You were waiting in line. And the hardest part of staying spoiler-free in 1980 and 83 was just people being quiet in line and not saying anything as they're coming out because people are freaking out when they're coming out of the theater. Oh, my gosh, Darth Vader, you know. And with the prequels, it was just, I mean, you couldn't look at anything in Star Wars. I mean, I remember just picking up the CD and look at the back, and oh, one of the titles of the CD was Qui Gon's death or yeah, something like that. That's You're like, true. come on, you know? That's true. <laughs> it, it was stuff like that. I think maybe not. Uh, it's just harder to stay spoiler-free for me because um, you, you know, you wanted to see what was going on, and you like watching the trailers. But man, if you really want to not know anything, it's like you can't look at anything anymore, you know? And that's the only part I miss is just the the anticipation and but 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 then again i do like some of the stuff that they did you know with with the uh i think it was episode three they had the webcam with hyperspace and you got to go behind the scenes so i don't know i i think uh to answer your question though steve uh that's wow if that would have leaked out i mean that would have been huge because that was that was the pivotal point like you said in that movie
2: well, yeah and I just wonder if if it's something that somehow would have leaked onto if there were if the internet presence were in 1979 1980 yeah. you know it, it, what it was in 2004 2005 leading up to episode three um, you know knowing what they tried to hide I just I wonder if it would have started to at least be a rumor you know if that yeah. debate would have started before people even saw the movie because really? yeah, you know it's yeah. just one of those things you know that was that 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 movie, were you know, as I said earlier, the whole movie resonates, um, and anyone else could have done that movie, and that one moment would have still been the moment in cinema history right, for me. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, but it you know, there was a lot hinging on. All right, we can't tell anybody this, um, just to to have that shot. I mean, cause what else? I mean, have you ever been shocked like that? Is there another movie that's done that?
3: Is there anything else
0: that's
3: ever done that? I don't think so. I'm trying to think and I don't I don't know, you know, it's Yeah. Probably not. The
2: the only other time that I have been even close to to having maybe the similar reaction and Cohen, you're gonna have to walk down this road with me, is season five of Smallville. um, when Lionel is he's watching a, a DVD of Clark saving Lana from an explosion, and he keeps he keeps flipping back and forth to, to Clark rushing through, and he says, your secret's safe with me, Kal-El. And you're like,
0: what? Yeah. How does he yeah. know Kal-El? You
2: know, that was the, I mean, and that's just a, you know, that's a TV show, but I'm just saying it's like that moment. Similar
1: sort of moment where you think a character is one thing, and then in, in an instant. They flip it on its head, and they're like, "No, yeah. there's so much more going on here that you don't even understand yet." And I think I think that's the bigger part of it. It's like, even in *Return of the Jedi*, the reveal of Leia as Luke's sister. It's not as powerful because it's like, okay, so they're brother and sister, so that makes her Vader's daughter, and uh, and and they have the same mother, and somewhere down the road they got separated and you've kind of already put together all of the information that you can gather from that how it got to that point, that's interesting but that's more Vader's story so you're kind of like Vader's still the crux of that that makes it interesting right? and Mm -hmm. and when you flip Vader like that and you take him from being like you watch A New Hope and he is a very very uh, I, I, I sort of shudder to say two dimensional bad guy He's got some extra stuff going on there beyond just, you know, a henchman or something like that. But, but like, if people didn't know. Is he a robot? Is he a human being under there? Like, is he an alien? What's going on with that character? He's just the bad guy. He's evil. Right. And Tarkin was really the guy that you're like, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one calling all the shots. Um, yeah. So... It's not until you get to Empire that you find out that first of all you start to find out that these others need to like they, they they follow him and you sort of see him start to be a little bit more of a badass and you know like choking guys out like came out of the system too too close to the to the planet and all that sort of thing and and he's he's killing people left and right and you're like oh well I guess these guys do have to worry about Vader a little bit more than I thought Um but then at the end you flip it and you go like and not only that but he's uh, he's the biggest bad guy in the galaxy and and he's, he's a family flooded. man and yeah and, and, and he's related to your hero like he yeah. is the father of the main character like how, how much does that change the character and how much do you go back to A New Hope and you start to think about the stuff between him and Obi-Wan and, and that starts to become a more interesting story there and and you develop more of that stuff.
2: Well, but, the line so, of Episode 4, to me, that was so enlightened by that one revelation is that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. You know, when, when Baru tells Beru. Owen he's just not a farmer, he's got too much of his father in him. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, you know, it, it sheds a whole new light on Owen. You know, you because through Episode 4 you're thinking, no, he's just the cantankerous old uncle that's trying to hold his boy back and won't let him go out and experience life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, he's trying to protect the freaking galaxy, is what he's trying to do. <laughs> yeah. From his little farm in Tatooine, he's trying to keep this kid from making the same mistakes that his father did. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, fighting a losing battle. But um, but yeah. you realize the nobility and the sacrifice that uh, that is that is there with Owen and Beru in raising this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's. Uh, and if you don't have empire you don't get that. Yeah.
0: You know oh, you yeah. don't
2: you don't ever yeah. understand that. Even if you even if you took it to <clears throat> from from episode 1 to episode 4, you still don't get that. Um you know you might you know that Anakin went and became Darth Vader, you know all this and you know that he's Luke's dad, and you know that he's Leia's dad, but at the same time you still don't get that motivation really until I don't know, maybe you do, I guess, because he knows what Anakin became but but he hasn't lived under you know, at that point when they're handed Luke on Tatooine, they haven't yeah. lived under the thumb of the Empire yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You yeah. know, and so and so twenty years later, as he's sitting there and the galaxy has basically gone to hell in a handbasket, you know, that's what I'm afraid of carries a whole lot of weight.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah Well, one you've got you've got the, the added stuff, especially once you start getting into the prequels, how, how out of the way Tatooine is and how it's uh, it's this this backwater place and why would anybody want to live there and you start to understand that well Owen's the kind of guy that wants to live there because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the empire and that's about as far away as you can get from their their reach right so uh and for good reason I mean he ends up kind of extra tasty crispy so, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a good reason to want to stay away from the from the empire, and, and you see that. But then you also have that aspect of it that he knows, he knows about about uh, Vader. His, uh, I think it's in uh, Dark Lord. Is that the the novel after Episode Three? Yeah. Yeah, the rise. Of uh, the rise of, of Vader, yeah, rise yeah. of Lord Vader. Uh, where you get, I can't. Remember, you get. I know you get a moment with. With uh, with Obi Wan, in a cantina in in Mos Eisley, where he sees like on the on the holonet, he sees
2: Vader. Yeah, that's in the epilogue. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he finds out, and and so you have to imagine that that Owen was probably along the same lines because I don't know that Obi Wan would wouldn't let him know, <laughs> you know, like like there's a possibility that this dude in a big black mask is gonna come along one day and. Uh, you know, he might ask for the kid. Don't give him the kid, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. He's scary, but it's really important. Because um, cause you have to imagine that, that he'd, he'd need to know that information. That would be kind of important.
0: That Especially
1: hit. once Darth Maul shows up with robot legs and
0: tries to <laughs> tries to kill
1: him. At that point, you have to have the conversation, this could happen again. Um
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> although although Hey, by the way, the Sith are still looking for this kid.
1: Yeah, although that's expanded universe, but uh, I guess we'll find out in a few months whether or not that's really expanded universe.
2: Well, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, was that meant to actually? I thought that was kind of like a Star Wars tales kind of story, like a what if kind of. <laughs> it story. is visionaries. It, it, yeah. it,
1: it was, but I, uh,
3: Matt and I are privy to information. We'll talk
2: and, off. We'll talk off, Mike. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll stick around. On. Stick around, Steve, yeah. after for a couple minutes.
2: Yeah, because I'm going to pick you guys' brains. Um,
3: Before we the,
2: go, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. The, you know, we've kind of diverged off into just kind of geeking out about <laughs> Star Wars a little bit. Um, I wanted, you know, this journey that Vader takes from, and you mentioned it earlier, Cohen. This this journey that Vader takes from Episode Four to Episode Six. Episode Four, you you know, I don't think you were wrong in saying he's kind of a two dimensional bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 somehow, and I don't know. It's either the genius in marketing or just the, the fact that he killed Obi-Wan. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but somehow he became like the baddest, most evil man in the galaxy to, to, the, yeah. to the audience, you know, between Episodes 4 and Episode 5. But in Episode 4, when you consider that we know the whole story, he's so detached. You know, it's like, it's like in the 20 years since his fall you know, he's just kind of giving in and he's just doing his thing. Yeah. And, you know, he hears the term Mos Eisley. He knows that this ship blasted its way out of the Mos Eisley spaceport. Uh, you know, he knows he was over Tatooine when those, when, when the droids jettisoned with the with the plans of the Death Star. He, you know, you almost get the sense that he just intentionally doesn't let any of it resonate with him. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. That, that he's so, become... What, why so does it- why doesn't he go down to the planet himself to look for the droids if it's that right. Well, he's that's why Luke is on Tatooine because it's the last place Vader wants to go. <laughs>
2: right, Because right. it's and, got you know, all and, of
1: those feelings with his mom and and, and uh, all that stuff, and
2: never wanting to go back there. And so and so he finds out this Skywalker kid blows up the Death Star. And when you hit Episode Five, you're dealing with a Vader who is really tapping into his anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, whereas, whereas in, in, in Episode 4, in A New Hope, in Star Wars, if you will, Vader is completely comfortable in his evil skin. You know, he's learned to just hate, I guess. Right. You know, the anger's not so much a factor as much as the hate is. But when you hit Episode 5, he's, he's ready to explode at any given moment. Yeah. You know Admiral Ozzel came out of light speed too close to the system um you know you you failed me for the last time admiral you know you- ca- apology accepted Captain Nita. I want that ship you know asteroids don't concern me he's he's ready to explode, you know the anchor is back, and so you get. he is emotionally compromised all of a sudden mm-hmm. in a way that a sith has not been in a while um so that when you hit episode six, and 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 I'm sorry, the conversation, and this is another thing that I, I think Mark did well. Don't get me wrong, but if Kirshner would have directed that conversation between Luke and Vader on the catwalk,
3: yeah, that was a
2: great. On, on, from the from the ad at to the uh, to the to the landing platform.
1: Yeah, on Endor. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh things. my gosh, when yeah. when they have that conversation. And Vader kind of walks over to the railing and just stands there. You see that this is a man who has come full circle, and here and mm-hmm. there really is some conflict in this man. Oh
3: yeah. You know? yeah. And
2: uh, and and what a what a what a journey, you know, what a storytelling. So that so that now my thing is is he's reverted from he's gone from anger. He's gone from anger and and you know from hatred. He's, he's, he's now to anger in episode 5, and by episode 6, it's fear. You know, there's almost a, there's a progressive reversion of, of what went on for his change, because he went from fear to anger to hate. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, as Yoda said, what happened, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. And, and, and from episode 4 to 6, he goes from hate to anger to fear. Because the only thing that is keeping him from turning on the emperor is you don't know the power of the emperor. You don't understand the power of the dark side. Mm-hmm. You know he's now he, when he tells Luke that he is desperately pleading with his son, I can't, I can't turn back. It's too late for me. He's fearful of trying to make things right now, and and the fear that he knew as Anakin, you know, losing his wife. Now he's he's fearful of this. And, it is, and it's not until he just lets go of that fear to save his son, when perfect love cast out all fear, if you will, mm. that, you know, that that Anakin, the good Anakin, you know, it returns. And, and it's just, I don't know, that's a fascinating thing to me. You know, it, it's, like, uh, it's like Kyle Newman said <laughs> at, at Celebration 5 that blew both Cohen and I away. Um, you know, the prequels are the rise of the dark side and the, the, the original trilogy is the rise of the light side. And yeah, um, yeah. and it's, it's a real fascinating journey to me to see yeah. take place.
3: Yeah, Vader is one of the characters that he's always been my favorite character. And you talked about, you know, in The Empire Strikes Back, here's the Emperor and, and they're talking and uh, they want to turn Luke. But like you said at the end of uh, uh, Empire, Steve, uh, Vader goes from toying to he's outright trying to kill him, it looks like. So he's kind of going back and forth, you know, as he... Is he trying to? And then finally, at the end, uh, of Empire, He's he's trying to tell him, "Hey, come on with me," because I think right there, Vader's thinking, "You know what? I could. Luke is pretty powerful." You know, and what does all the Sith try to do? They try to bring somebody in and overtake the neck, the top guy. That's always how it's been since the rule of two. Bring somebody in, try to take out the top guy. And right at that point, he's thinking, "Man, I, uh, me and Luke join up, just like he did with Padme in Episode three. And that's one of the things that I liked about the prequels is you do get that connection uh, with Anakin, at least, you know, through the whole yeah. six, you get that great connection. He did yeah. it with Padme. Come on, Padme. We can do this. You know, well, at that point, he's, that, he's so powerful in episode three. Go ahead, Steve. All right. And Anybody, anybody who tries
1: to take down the, the prequels and say that Hayden Christensen didn't deliver a, a good performance and. And, you know, like, how can you... Like, it ruins the original trilogy and all that sort of thing. Uh, It's just ridiculous to me, because... Both sides of it. The original trilogy definitely influences the way that I feel about the prequels. And the prequels have now influenced the way that I feel about the original trilogy. And...
0: Yeah.
1: People want to look at it one way. They want to look at original trilogy, prequel trilogy. But if you flip it and you look prequel trilogy, original trilogy... You can see Anakin as a character, as a, as a person, and the way that he speaks, and the way that he thinks, and the way that he acts, in Vader. And you can see that, that once you start to take away, um, essentially his inhibition, like you, you start to take away the control that he has in Episode 2, uh to do the things that he doesn't really want to do. He wants to, to live in his emotions and live in his feelings as opposed to be detached like Obi-Wan is. Um, and and you see him fighting that a lot. If if you took those aspects of his character away, I think what you would be left with is a very similar character to Darth Vader. And, and you would have that same sort of stilted uh, way of... of, of acting like where it's very black and white on or off um mm-hmm. and that that tends to be the way that vader does things a lot it's like if you, you'll join me or you'll die you know like it's one or the other there isn't a gray area here and uh and and the performances match that if you listen to the way i just watched return of the jedi uh, a couple of weeks ago because it was on spike which i love that spike just plays those movies constantly it's
3: <laughs> awesome because any given are.
1: weekend mm-hmm. You can just, like, flip the TV on, and it's like, I bet you anything, if one of us went in and turned our TV on right now, Empire Strikes Back is probably playing. Um, <laughs> and I love that, like, because you, you, you can just sort of pick it up. And uh, and and living Clone Wars the way that Matt and I do, um, it's hard not to listen to Vader's dialogue and hear it in, in uh, Matt Lanter's performance and to hear it in Hayden Christensen's performance as Anakin. Mm-hmm. and to see that character and how closely those two are tied together and I think what you really get in in uh, Revenge of the Sith especially is you get a whole lot of James Earl Jones coming out of Mark Hamill <laughs> like and and I think that's where people have the disconnect and they think that Hayden Christensen isn't doing a good job and that he's he's screwing up somewhere along the way and that, and that it's wooden dialogue and all that sort of thing well guess what Vader's dialogue is wooden dialogue. A lot of what he says in the original trilogy, I don't think that we could believe it if it wasn't coming out of a black robot monster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like,
0: right.
1: you have to take into account that, like, it's James Earl Jones delivering it, first of all, who's got an otherworldly voice. So right. you can believe just about anything he says. I mean, like, come on, the dude's Thulsa Doom, and I believe him <laughs> as that character? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it, so Vader is, is easy by comparison to that character um, and then you go back and you try and put those words into the mouth of a human being of like a flesh and blood person and expect them to come out the same way and with the same gravitas and, and importance and, and uh, sort of like an ominous fashion it's not going to happen and so you kind of see Anakin trying to be what he eventually becomes He's mm-hmm. trying to be intimidating he's trying to right. be scary yeah. and uh, and I mean we get to see a little bit more of it in the Clone Wars I feel like like with that performance it definitely comes out a lot clearer yeah but um, but we also get to spend a lot more time with the character and uh, and see him in different situations and how he's gonna react to those different situations but where like I think episode two we got a little bit more more shades of, of Empire Strikes Back in, and A New Hope Luke with the whininess and the right, all but yeah. I want to go to Tashi Station sort of thing mm-hmm. um, which I think the best example of that isn't even in the movie but is in the Clone Wars micro series where that voice actor was very intentionally trying to play out the whiny side the whiny. of his character yeah. and I think it was stuff like that that, that sort of put us off on, on Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker but the more, the longer that I live with Hayden Christensen as Anakin, the longer, like, the, the, the more comfortable I am with the performance and with who, what he was trying to do. And with, I think, what direction, kind of what you were saying a while back, Steve, is that, like, some of the choices that Lucas made with with regards to the actors and, and to the, the character beats that are in the prequels, um, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with them now. And I can start to see where the connections are and what he was going for. And I think it's only with multiple viewings that we can start to really understand what he was getting at and and the depth to which he did actually direct and write the character of Anakin Skywalker. But it's because we have that gut reaction at first to, oh, he's just a whiny punk. We don't, like, he's not as cool as Vader. And how is this guy going to be Vader? But but, at the end of Sith... You're there like like you just got to put the helmet on the guy and, and that's the dude.
2: Yeah so. I, I think that I think that you and I might have even talked about the whole uh, Christensen's dialogue thing uh, before because that's something I've said is that if you listen to, to Hayden's delivery of some of his lines, you know you could substitute James Earl Jones's voice and you would find out that he's got you know while he doesn't have the same pitch to his voice at all, of course because he's not James Earl Jones. He, he's very methodical in the way he delivers, so that he has kind of the same rhythm mm-hmm. that James Earl Jones delivered Vader's lines with and, um, and and I think that I think that that gets missing on people because, as you said, I mean you said it best people say the dialogue's wooden. there's a lot of dialogue that comes from Lucas's stuff that that's wooden. Um, it just you know it's the delivery of those lines and and James Earl Jones. There's that video of him from Sesame Street just going through the alphabet or counting backwards or something, and, uh, and even that is amazing because it's James Earl yeah. Jones doing yeah. it, you know, and, <laughs> and it's like uh, yeah. it's, it's like <laughs> you know he could read the phone book and he'd be like, this is fascinating. Yeah, this is
3: awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, guys, one more thing before we start wrapping it up is, as far as Irvin Kirshner goes, I think it's a testament to what he did with the Empire that, you know, it seems like that was the, as far as the special editions, there was minimal corrections. You know, you had color corrections, you had technical corrections, uh, but nothing really with, with the story or adding anything in. So, um, you know, I, like I said, just another, another testament to what he did with that movie. And just everything coming together uh, with, with Lucas and Kirshner and, and the actors and everything was, uh, was the special editions. And you can say, wow, there was not much done, you know. Just cleaning up things here and there.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Biggest additions being the verandas in Cloud City. <laughs> like yeah, really, yeah. That's yeah. the largest contribution that the special edition made to those. Because, re- like, the first half of the movie, other than I think there's like a scene with a Wampa, <laughs> you know that you get you just get a little bit more of the Wampa because they have the ability to build a better suit.
3: Oh right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and other than that. I think you're right it's mostly color correction it's mostly stuff like that and then <laughs> matching up yeah uh, but well they didn't even fix bringing in Ian McDiarmid until the DVDs right right
0: right that, yeah. that
1: was that was still uh, that was the, still the it, old lady with the orangutan yeah the old, yeah, yeah uh, until until the DVD came out so uh, yeah I mean that's when you think about it that way, it's really, really minimal what they did to, to Empire. Because, yeah. I mean, did they change anything on Dagobah? I don't think they did.
2: Nope. No. It's no. all
1: intact. It, yep, so. yep.
2: Yeah. The You know, if I were going to say anything, you know, in retrospect about, about Kirshner, is that every time I ever heard an interview with him or every time I ever saw anything where he talked about Star Wars, until his later years he all, you know even up i say until uh, up until you know his later years even in his later years i guess i should say he always spoke with a knowledge about these characters yes you know yeah. it was something he carried with him and he always spoke with a fondness about this movie Kirshner is not a director that ever became bitter about the fact that he did empire strikes back you know yeah. and and as a as a fan that means more to me than just about anything yeah, because as a fan, I'm always disappointed when the people who made what I love seem disappointed they made what I love. <laughs> you know, whether it's yeah. in music, whether it's in music, movies, TV or whatever. You know, it's always a disappointment. I know it gets old. I know it gets tiring to talk about the same old things, you know, but um but the truth of the matter is is that he always had that appreciation and he always had that love for what he did and I think that that is um as far as a Star Wars fan, as far as me being a Star Wars fan goes, that to me is one of the more important things that he brought to the table uh, with his uh, in, involvement in, in Empire.
3: Yeah, and, and for me, to sum it up, too, is, uh, is the same kind of feeling, is that he brought all these character moments, and he, and he was able to... I, mean, I, I don't want to say stand up, but he just there's certain things that he wanted in this movie that he thought were going to work, and he was able to go to George Lucas and say hey this is I think this is going to work and and like you guys talked about earlier hey let's test it with an audience hey it works leave it in and and even uh uh Kirsten said at one point that that George was the best producer that he ever worked with um, and basically what he said was he left me alone and and let me do what I had to do and a testament to Lucas also having the confidence in Kirshner to, to take it over and of course you know like I said earlier he was he was the mentor and. And uh, but yeah, my favorite of the saga, and uh, it's a lot of it has to do with Kirsch. Mike?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, man, what to say that hasn't already been said. It's uh, yeah. like kind of we kind of talked all about this up and down. and uh, and I, I, I always go back to uh, same sort of thing, sentiment that I have with George Lucas. When people try and take George Lucas down a peg. I always say, well, there's a huge fan following of people who will talk endlessly about this thing that he created and uh, and the fact that we can sit here and for over an hour talk about Empire Strikes Back and how it relates to the other five movies in this saga as well as a TV series and countless expanded universe uh, pieces of, of storytelling it stands out as as the best one and and everything else is kind of hinged and connected to moments in this film, and that you, you can't really credit a lot of other people other than than Irvin Kirshner and George Lucas, like the, the two of them as a team might have. They might be one of the most effective filmmaking combos yeah. of all time because this is a movie that's going to stand the test. We just talked about it with the special edition, minimal changes when. Mm when A New Hope and Return of the Jedi got all these things ripped out and added in and, and changed and modified for better or worse uh, Empire, it was like let's put a little bit of extra polish on this on, on what's already an amazing film okay. and, and just make it that much better and uh, and that's a testament to, to that directing and, and as Steve has been saying a lot today uh, about Bringing it all together, and uh, and making sure that everything is on track uh, and syncing up, and and uh, keeping all of these different uh, departments all on on one goal, which is to make the best movie that you can possibly make. And and I think we're just really lucky that it happens to be a Star Wars movie that yeah. that all this effort was put to, because because uh, I don't know I don't know that Return of the Jedi would've gotten made. I don't know that the prequels would exist if it weren't for an amazing follow up like Empire Strikes Back.
3: Yeah, right. Especially uh, back in those days, Mike. I mean you know, nowadays you know, you can have six, seven saws or Jasons or whatever and it doesn't matter how bad they are. They're gonna keep but I think I think it was different back then because uh there was a there was I don't know, with the studios it's like, hey, if you're not gonna if it's not gonna make money you're not going to have any chance. And, and maybe yeah. that was a, maybe that's what happened or was what might happen back then is if this empire doesn't work, especially George Lucas financing it all himself, he was throwing all his cards on the table. You know, he was going all in, mm-hmm. you know, this is all his money. And if it doesn't work there, like you said, Mike, I don't think there is anymore, you know, it's yeah. done. So yeah, huge. Yeah. Responsibility.
1: It's a, uh, it's, it was, it was almost an experiment. Like can lightning yeah. strike twice? Right. And, uh, not only did it strike twice, but it struck a lot harder the second time. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, I think we're really lucky to have a movie like Empire, and uh, and and although uh, Irvin Kershner hasn't really he hasn't really done a lot since Empire, and uh, and there's not a lot else to sing sing home about. But uh, it, it, this is enough. This it's a movie to hang your hat on. I think. Yeah. I think uh, losing um. Uh, it, it, it is a loss and I think it's something that the entire Star wars fan community felt that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this um, we were getting geared up to do a holiday episode and then that news came in and I was kind of like yeah 180 that like we got to do a we got to do an episode dedicated specifically to this guy and uh, and what he's contributed to to a major part of of, of our lives uh, oh yeah yeah definitely and, uh, he definitely deserved it so thanks everybody for tuning in to this uh this special episode and for hanging in there with us with what uh it was kind of up and down like we kind of started off on a downer and went up and, and sort of hit the heights of what empire means to us and now we're back yeah. down to like you know it's uh it's time to close out the episode so uh yeah
0: yeah
1: so thanks thank steve. You, thank, yeah, steve yeah thanks steve for for being it. Uh, coming out of hiding uh <laughs> that was awesome yeah it's Always fun having a on the show.
2: to talk about Irvin yeah. uh, Kershner and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, well, the uh, other day I had a friend get in touch with me, and uh, he works with, uh, he's a school teacher, and he was on a trip with some kids, and, and he told me, he's like, this kid told me that Yoda had dabbled in the dark side in his past. Is this true? And um, And I texted him back, and I'm like, no. That must be some of that expanded universe junk. <laughs> and um and he's like, Yeah, he said it's in some book or something. I said, You tell that kid this you tell him to go become an expert in the movies and then he can enjoy the novels and uh <laughs> and I got really fired up about it. Like I was getting I wanted to go find where this kid was and wring his neck for being such an idiot. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, It's been a while since I've been that fired up about Star Wars, it's been many months and so um so it's nice to kinda have this outlet to, to let the old uh let the old geek juices flow, if you oh, will. Yeah. So I appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Rob, good, good times. Good time, anytime, dude. Any time.
1: So that's it. So we will uh, we'll catch
3: you guys uh, later on. And, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in a week or so.
0: Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here, saying thank you for listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, brought to you of course by StarWarsDaily.com. The Force is strong with you all, and it will be with you always.